Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the first, first and the big first uh, new show of Travis Reed and Athlete's Journey. I'd like to thank everybody who's coming out from the other show that was on YouTube, but now I'm bringing it back to the podcast form. And in that podcast, I'm bringing on a friend of mine who is uh, doing real big things now nowadays. You know, you might see him on American Ninja Warrior. Uh, you know, that's why I watch him at, you know, because I, I actually love, I love that show. But he has talk shows, you know, like he is, wrote a book. He is, uh, you know, basically really, really, really doing his thing. I'm really proud of him because we basically come from the same school you know, coming out of the same kind of area, you know, for him to make it. And even with the, with the journey of his sports, which we'll get into later, uh, he made the transition, uh, you know, from good to, to just great, you know. And uh, I, I had to get him on here and tell his story. Introduce yourself to the to the public. Man, I'm Akbar Bajabia Miller, man. I, look, I, I've known Travis, you know, man, we go all the way back from the Crenshaw days. And, it, and it's cool, man, to be able to have this conversation Congratulations on, on your podcast. You know, I've been listening to you, listening to your journey too as well. So it's funny how, you know, you know, grow up in the same neighborhood, we go down different paths, um, but we have a lot of common experiences, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, our transitioning out of the game that we love for so long. You know, for you, you know, it was your basketball career took you to many places out of the country playing overseas. Um, for me, my love of basketball didn't take me to college but it did prepare me to play football in college, which was great. So I'm always thankful to the game of basketball, but it's, um, it's cool, man. But I just, I think, I, you know, I, when you told me that you had your podcast and I listened and, you know, I just started to listen to the journey, even how you were going to tell your kids, you know, your, your, your son, your story and just, you know, where do you start? It's just such a, it, there's a lot of layers to it. And mm -hmm. I think the best way to do it is through dialogue, something like this. And mm -hmm. so, so yeah, congrats on the, uh, on the podcast. Well, like I said, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Congrats to you uh, on everything. We obviously we talked earlier, uh, you know, for a while about you know your journey, and we also talked about like what you're doing now. And man, I, like I said, I, I I can't praise you enough. And you know, like what you're doing is for for everybody, like meaning former athletes and like you know us as a people, man. It's just like a inspiring story. I tell you. Um, you know, I, like I said, I talked to, we both know, I talked to Bean and he was just like, man, you know, Akbar doing it, man. You know, and Appreciate everybody it. I talked to, you know, says the same thing. Like, man, he doing it big. And like I said, even my dad watches American Ninja Warrior, you know? <laughs> we got to get, get your dad, we got to get your dad on them. Uh, oh, no. You and your dad, man, that would be pretty cool, man. We've had some basketball players come out. Uh, we had one guy, uh, Bullard, who plays uh, with the Harlem Go-Trotter. Um, he's come out. Um, we had uh, Tamika Catchings come out, uh, WNBA. Um, mm -hmm. so we've had, we, we haven't had an NBA guy yet come out. Um, so, um, so yeah, man, it would be, be cool to get some, some hoopers out there. It's a different type of sport, though. I'm not going to lie. I did it in 2018. Uh, was it 2018? Yeah, 2018. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, man. It was, it was. Oh, it was, it was, I, I man, look, when you get, you fall, you got to swim back and I'm, you know, you be getting hit. Oh man. I, I, after I get hit once, I'm all right, time out. <laughs> Next. It ain't for big dudes. Cause you, you're what? Six, five, right? Six, 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 five. Yeah. Like six, seven. 
Yeah, six seven. Okay, man, my bad, my bad. I, I said, <laughs> Don't be cutting off my height. Gently, hey, you gently correct me. No, six seven. <laughs> hey, I'm the same way. Tell me I'm six four, six five. I'm like, no, six six. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed, man. That's, yeah, so that's you know, it's crazy how we we connected um, because you know I don't know what it's every now and again, man. When I'm driving or I'm driving home or something like that, and I go into a reflective state. I don't listen to a lot of music actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm driving, I'm either listening to a podcast, something that you know stimulates the brain, or I'm in silence. Mm-hmm. And I just started thinking about random things, random people, and then your name popped up. Mm-hmm. Man, I was like, whatever happened? I think I tried to, I, I think I reached out or something on social media, or just, you know, you start hearing these names from the from the past, or you know, uh, just reconnected with Tremaine folks and uh you know, you start thinking about different guys that we grew up with. Like one name that's always been intriguing to me, um, Kenny Bruner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, where is Kenny Bruner? Um, you know, but yeah, there, it was some good time. Then we played basketball in an era that was, I'm talking about, I think it was, in my opinion, was the golden age of oh, yeah. basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you had guys who were fundamentally sound. You don't have the same type of, I mean, you know, and no, I'm not poo-pooing on the, you know, the younger generation, but it was just the golden age because it was the hybrid from old school basketball into this newer school, new style of basketball, but it had some of the same disciplines from the old school basketball. Uh, I think yourself, I think of Shea Cotton, you know, I connected with Shea Cotton. I was just trying to reach out to just different people that just was crossing my mind as driving. And, you know, when I landed on you, I just thought it was just interesting to hear your journey. Um, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I just thought it was a fun fact. Just, you know, how did we get reconnected? And it was just literally just a drive and going, a random name popped up in my head. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to try to reach out. <laughs> well, no, definitely. Uh, I definitely agree with you, Akbar, man. Like, I always felt like that 97 class uh, was probably the deepest, deepest class in California history as far as talent. Like you said, uh, you know, kid guys like Kenny Bruno, he's in Australia, by the way, coaching. Is that right? Um, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Last, last time that's I talked, that's why I ain't seen him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's not in the country. He's not in the country. Yeah, he's not in the um, country. Um, but yeah, it's you know, like I think about Shea. I think about Jason and Jaron Collins, Chris Burgess, Baron yep. Davis. Yep. Uh, Mike, you know, Jason Thomas. Jason Thomas. He's one year. He's ninety eight. But like, just all the yeah. guys in that. Oh yeah, era. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Tayshawn Prince. But like, Tayshaun. you know, uh, but yeah, like ninety seven was. Like I said, I, I felt like it was just stupid with talent. Um, right. You know, Mike McDonald. What was Kat- the kid that went to UCLA for a hot second? Um, uh, Illusionment. Was he 96 or 97? 96. He was 96. 96. Okay, so he's 96. Yeah, he's 96. Yeah, he's one year ahead of us. He's like Corey Benjamin in them. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's, right. he's quite mentioned. As we get older, those years start to get... Yeah, <laughs> you get blurred together. <laughs> now, I agree with you on that, uh, for real, because I'd be like, is he 96 or 97? Right. You know, my son be like, Dad, you're old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's still yeah. hard for me to hear, man. Yeah, no, no. I yeah. felt I felt like uh, uh, Trey's dad in Boys in the Hood, because my, my son was like, Dad, can you cut my hair? I'm like, oh, Sure. He said, but don't don't cut my all hair off like yours. I want to fade. So I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> like looking at it, measuring it, cutting a little bit here, cutting a little bit you there. Cut? Uh mm, a little bit. That's something I actually want to do. There's two things I want to learn how to do. I want to learn how to cut hair and I want to be a, a full-time barista. 
Um, during the pandemic, I really got into making my own coffee, but my own machine, my espresso machine. And so I kind of go through that work. So I need to get better at that. But, you know, I got a son with hair and I'm like, yeah, I got to, you know, because every time the barbershop now ain't the same anymore, man. They, oh, man. Gotta... Actually, they just raised it during the pandemic. $30 from my son's little head. I'm like, how's that $30 to cut my son's head? <laughs> yeah, where, no, where it's real. <laughs> now, everything is inflation, man. Like, the like, you know, like you used to go in the barbers and kind of sit there and wait sometimes. Right. You have to make an appointment. Right. Otherwise, he, he just have, doesn't, my barber doesn't have any time. He just right. yeah, all day. Yeah, but I, I've i been waiting outside for 30 minutes. <laughs> Nobody showed up <laughs> during that time. No, that's what I'm saying. So, like, you know, my son, you know, he has a lot more hair than I, I did. And so yeah. he was like, Dad, just just like kind of faded. Don't cut me like you. Just don't. Oh, I, I, I did I did that. He's uh, 12. 12, okay. Yeah, going, got, on, going on 25. Yeah. 12 going on 25. <laughs> I got, I've got a 12-year-old daughter who's going on 13 in biologically but yeah going on 28 <laughs> yeah 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 you know that's the funny thing with him he's like dad you know like i gotta get my drip game up i'm like what is drip i don't know what what <laughs> what are you talking about yeah. and the funniest thing was uh i had an argument with him i was like uh he's like dad do you know who little uzi vert is yeah and i'm like who and he, i was like you know who dr dre is and he was like who Boy, I was like, boy, I'm a smack. Right, smack right. Mess out of you, right. We're, we're at that. We're at that age, man. Like I was just doing, I ran off all the little Lils. There's little Uzi, whatever, little this, little that. <laughs> man, I, I just gave up. But now I know how my dad was. Because I remember when I was trying to tell my dad about 50 Cent. When, <laughs> you remember when 50 Cent came on the scene, he was hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing. And Tupac and my dad just didn't get it. I'm like, man, like what? But now <laughs> our kids are, you know, they, you know, my kids don't listen to rap like that. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely around a lot of people who, yeah, we're just getting further and further disconnected. You know what? But you, I think it's because we realize we only have so much time in the day. Mm-hmm. We only have so much time left on this earth. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you're gonna want to spend it the way you want to spend it, not mm-hmm. trying to keep up with all the you know the hot trends and stuff like that. But you know, every now and again, though, there'll be one that breaks through where you go, that young kid's got talent. You know what I mean? Yes. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna follow that kid. I'm gonna buy that kid's album or you know download it on whatever, whatever these. <laughs> so yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I definitely agree with you on that. There's like I said, don't get me wrong. I I I, I know who Lula Uzi Bird is now. But this right. is like you know, Same I didn't here. Really, but I don't. Yeah. I could. I bet you can't name one of his songs. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. I can't name not one of his songs. Yeah. I, the one young guy, if you want to say, I have a young guy who I do like. I like the baby. The baby. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The baby. Yeah, 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 the baby. Yeah, and yeah. I like a little baby too, but I like the baby. Yeah, I don't know little baby. I know the baby, but I don't yeah. know little baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. yeah they got to come up with some. They got to come up with a new nickname. <laughs> There's too many Lils, man. This is come like, on with a real name, Johnson Smith. Yeah, right. This is like during the time when everybody was MC. You remember MC Light, MC Hammer, MC. You know, just everybody was an MC something. Like yeah, like, yeah, come on, man. Like, yeah, no, no. It's, come on, come on. We, you guys, got a big vocabulary. Come yeah, on with something with the baby originality. More. Like take the Lils out and grow up. <laughs> grow up. Yeah, grow up. Know. Right, 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 right. I agree with you 100. Well, okay, man. Like I said, let's let's get into it. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's dive into it. You know, let, let's just start it. How did your journey start in 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 basketball? 
Well, you know, basketball was my first love, man. It was, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I was born in 1979, and you know, I grew up in a Lakers household. I'm still a Lakers fan till today. Mm -hmm. You have know, a great Western Forum, and I remember, you know, just watching Showtime. I can still hear Magic Johnson's voice. Hi, this is Irvin Magic Johnson for Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> And you're watching Lakers on KCAL 9. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I just remembered, I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And uh, my very first basketball team, I played for Carolina, Coach Greg at the YMCA, Crenshaw, Crenshaw YMCA on Santa Rosalia. And I was the sorriest kid. On the <laughs> I remember the first basket I ever made uh, or first basket I ever missed was in the wrong direction. Um, and, you know, so you, you, you go through that um, period and, you know, always rolled the pine. And um, but I was I had this burning desire because, you know, especially now, now they call it bullying, whatever they call it, um, you know, but you get teased if you weren't good. And it motivated me to want to be better. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I ran into people that would help me along my way, specifically. I think about Doug Joseph earlier in my, in my, in my life who helped me with basketball. And then I met a guy who's, who would end up being a, a big mentor to me, Sandy Frazier, who taught me, because all through middle school, I, I kind of struggled. I wasn't you know, that guy. I had the size, but I just didn't have the coordination. Then my seventh grade year, I was just tired of being the sorry dude. Man. I was like, <laughs> I'm tired. I was at Audubon Junior High School. In a, in Audubon, a Audubon, yeah. yeah Audubon, yeah. 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 And I saw a buddy of mine, Chris Roberson, who was uh, out practicing, and he was, he was really good. He, Game was nice, and he was working with Sandy, and Sandy was – I was like, man, how do I get a part of this? He's like, here's a ball. Come on. He says, we'll be out here, you know, two, three times a week. And so I was there two, three times a week, and we just create that relationship. And, you know, as, as you know, if you grew up in South Los Angeles, playing for Crenshaw basketball was like playing for the Lakers junior. You know what I mean? Like, it was uh, – you're playing junior Lakers ball, right? Mm -hmm. He had all the success, and – Marcus Johnson and all the highlights of all the, you know, Stevie Thompson. So I was set that by the time I left Audubon, I was going to, to Crenshaw high school and I was going to be playing basketball as LeBron would say, I was taking my talents to Crenshaw. High school. <laughs> um, and, you know, by the time I got to the eighth, eighth grade, I'd gotten better by the ninth grade, I was doing a lot better. And I remember coach Katani coming up, uh, he was at Fairfax and he yeah, was trying to yeah. get us over uh, me, Chris, David, and some other guys trying to get us over to uh, to Fairfax. I'm like, mm -hmm. my parents ain't gonna let me leave the district. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> that's not happening. Plus, yeah, I want to yeah. play for a contender. I want to play for the champs. Yeah, and yeah. so that's how I got to Crenshaw. Man, it's wild too. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I've ever if anybody else had the experience we had at Crenshaw, mm -hmm. but. Do you remember? Because there used to be the C, the C team. Oh yeah, yeah, C, the C team, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. junior varsity, and mm -hmm. varsity. So you mm -hmm. had to work your way up to play yeah, varsity. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. many people wanted to play basketball back then. Mm -hmm. And now I don't even think they even had B teams anymore. I don't think I don't so. Think I don't think they have season Bs. I think it's just freshman, JV, and then varsity. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They might even not even have freshmen anymore. But so. I remember tryout basketball. I was nervous as heck, man. It was like, this was a big deal, man. Like my whole life, school didn't even matter at that point. I was just like, <laughs> got tryout today. And I'll never forget walking into that Crenshaw basketball gym. All the banners, 
the championships were just staring you in the face, the trophy case as you walk in, and boom, hundreds of players. You remember that? Hundreds yeah. of players uh, trying man, to cry out. I, <laughs> like, I remember look, I remember this. Like it was funny because the uh, you remember Al Alistair Fox? Yeah, Al uh, Fox, yeah. yeah he was guy. city player of the year, senior year. Right? Yep. And he was on C's ninth yep. grade year with me. Uh it was like you like I said, the first. Uh, it was a hundred players to try out, but it was a hundred scouts. Right. You know, at the, you know, cause uh, Chris and Tremaine and, you know, Tommy Davis, like, you Tommy know, Crenshaw, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. They had all these players. And so like, you know, Lou Dawson was there. Uh, Jim Herrick was there. Uh, Roy Williams is like literally at our pickup games, you know, like the tryout yeah, yeah, pickup right, games right. watching. And I was just like, man, this is how it is at Crenshaw. Man. You know, it, it, it was insane. So like the first day, uh, I went, I was on the JV side. I was, I was going for JV. Oh, and the auxiliary gym. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and uh, I told my dad, he was like, boy, I didn't send you there to play no JV. So the next day I went to the varsity side. And yeah. then, you know, cause I, I was going to play with Bean and Bean was like, I'm not going for it. So I'm playing JV. And so um, I was like, I, I wanted to play with Bean, but then my dad was like, no, you go for varsity, you know? You know, yeah. boy, you tripping, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I, I, I played varsity, you know, like they, I made the team. That was a big deal because you made it your, your ninth first grade. Year. Yeah, ninth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a big deal. Like, that was something, like, that was the first time you ever popped up on my radar because I I wasn't at Crenshaw yet because you were yeah. there before me because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was the last year that they had ninth grade in middle school. Yeah. So we yeah. had the opportunity, hey, did you want to go to Crenshaw? Or do you want to finish out your 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 last year in Audubon? And I was like, you know what, I might as well graduate from middle school, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay one more year. So I stayed that extra year, mm -hmm. not that extra year, but that year, that ninth grade year. So I missed that one, but I remember like freshman makes. I mean, that was, you know, bro, like that day you could have played the lottery and you would have won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how hard. Like people don't realize, like that's how hard. That's what made you a household name immediately. Immediately. You jumped on everybody's radar in the basketball community, in the neighborhood. You became sort of a local, like, celebrity because I was like, dang, like, how, how does that happen? And obviously everyone kind of watched it as you matured. But uh, – and then I would come in the, 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 the following year. But I just remember how crazy that was. Like, and then tryouts was like this – I want to say it was like a couple of weeks because coach had to filter it down, like – you had to get down to your like your last 30 or 40 yeah, or 50 yeah. so he could mm -hmm, figure mm -hmm. out how he was going to make these teams. Uh, and, uh, yep. and every day was like anxiety filled, man. Going back, checking to see if your name was on the list. Ooh, all right. All right. Going back, checking. Oh, <laughs> name ain't on the list. You ain't on a team. Don't show up. Bye. <laughs> right, 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 so, right, yeah, right, and, right. Yeah, and then to make a junior varsity my first year, uh, that was a big accomplishment because I thought I didn't, you know, it was still insecure. So I thought, Maybe I end up on the B's team, but nobody really wanted to be on the B's team. No, 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 no. So the no. fact that I made it to JV, I was like, all right, all right. So that was, um, yeah, but that was my, my my journey with basketball. And then it went from JV, uh, my, my, my 10th grade year, 11th grade year, uh, I got the call up. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It was, I had made my 11th grade year, I was still on junior varsity. But they called you up during the playoffs, right? Yeah. No, no yeah. not during the playoffs. No, actually, it was early. It was early during the UC Irvine. They had the Nike Extravaganza mm, uh, down yeah. at UC Irvine. And we would play against um, 
oh, what's that basketball team that everybody talks about uh, on the East Coast? Um, Oak Hill Academy? Oak Hill Academy. Yeah, yeah. We played against, oh, well, that was strong memory right there. <laughs> oh, well, I, mean, I, know, I know Oak Hill. Yeah Oak, yeah, Oak Hill Academy, bro. I would never forget my heart's beating. I, I might have got like three minutes in the game. But it was like the, you know, that was that was big. Like you're playing against Oak Hill Academy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I did all right. Um, and then, you know, coach put me back down on JV. And then I would come back up during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like that was kind of when you go, man, this is this is cool. And then I say, all right, I don't want to be back and forth, right? Because I was a hybrid. I want to make this team. Right. And right. So right. That, that summer I trained hard, made the, you know, the squad. But then that's where things kind of turned for me because my brother during that time was a standout football player, never played basketball or anything like that. He was a standout football player, was being recruited from from everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after he leaves in 95, they were like, man, you should play football like your brother. I was like, no, nah, man, that's for barbarians. I'm going to the league, man. <laughs> I'm going to the NBA. I still had hoop dreams, man. Right, like, right, right. just came out not to, you know, like, I was like, no, I'm, I, I got hoop dreams. This is about to happen for me. And uh, I finally said yes because I was under a lot of peer pressure from Coach Garrett. And, uh, and then I tried to quit. And my dad was like, no, you can't because you said you were going to do it. So mm-hmm. you start something, you finish it. Mm-hmm. And and so I ended up finishing playing football, but it was the biggest blessing because the truth is, as much pride as I had about basketball, I wasn't as good as I thought I was in basketball. You know what I mean? I I could play, right? I mean, I, I mean, shoot. I remember. He's physical. Yeah, yeah, physical. Yeah, yeah I was, was. I was kind of like a Dennis Rodman. You know? Yeah, yeah. Wild. You don't. You don't remember this, but when we played in Vegas, uh, in that Vegas tournament, senior yeah, year, yeah, Lamar Odom, yeah, yeah, Lamar Odom, and like you guys played them, and then he was like, he was like Travis. I was like, what's up? You know, I know how to play you, man. I'm going to just play you physical. I'm going to just play you real physical. I'm like, all right. All right. All right. I'm like, trust me, man. I can, I, can, I can guard you, man. I can guard you. I'm like, all right. You can guard me. Yeah. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know? that, was a, that was a great tournament down there in Las Vegas, man. Oh, man. A lot, down a lot of talent, man. I mean, I can say Lamar Odom. Yeah, uh, Jason you played for New York Redemption. If, if yeah, yep, yep, yep. I remember I was at the game when y'all lost to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was at the game. Was, I was, was at the game. Tough. It was in that back gym, man. Yeah, that back small. So that small gym, man. <laughs> I was like, why do you put us in the – they should have put us in the main court, man. Like, No, no, y'all were ranked in the country. Y'all were like number 15 or whatever it was. So, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. I remember that. I, I used to come to all the games, but I was trying to be incognito. I didn't want to be like, you know, like I still yeah. had love for y'all. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And like I wanted I to come. I had love for you too, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, I still yeah, had it was always, love. It was always – Travis Reed from Crenshaw went to, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Pops was like, nah, you know, like, uh, he was like, I'm bringing you out of Crenshaw, bringing you to Fontana. And yeah. I was like, Dad, AB right? Miller, AB Miller. I was like, Dad, nobody goes to Montana. He's like, no, Fontana. I was like, that's even worse. I never heard, I never heard no Fontana. Never heard of no Fontana. <laughs> I never heard that was great. That no, was like, seriously, seriously. And, that, and I was like, because, like, you know, like, well, Christian, we won state and city. So I was like a freshman, like, dude, you won state and city. And, like, yeah, he was like, well, I'm taking you out of school. I'm, I'm, first, we went to Manuel Arts for a year. And then after Manuel, we went to A.B. Miller, Yeah, uh, you know, in Fontana. And I was, you know, it was, it was a blessing for me, but I was still kind of heated that, you know, 
I didn't yeah. finish, you know, Crenshaw. All right, right. Well, I mean, you went on to, you know, obviously, you know, your your talents followed you. So, you know, that that landed you in a big spot, UCLA. That was that was, you know, that was fun. That was cool to to see mm-hmm, that. You know mm-hmm, I mean? like, mm-hmm. No, uh, it was it was crazy. Like the fact that Chris, Chris Johnson, shout yep. out to Chris, uh, was my fresh a senior when I was a freshman at at Crenshaw. Yep. Taught me the ropes, if you want to say, in high school. And then him and Tremaine, and then uh, and Tank. And then, uh, what is that, Crenshaw, UCLA? Taught me the, kind of the ropes, you know, as a, him as being a senior and me being a freshman at UCLA. Yeah, so, yeah. You, that's why you, because you played with, uh, rest in peace, the late Ronnie Arch, too. Yep, yep. played with Ronnie Arch, rest in peace. Like, Ronnie, man. We were, yeah, we were, yeah. Yeah, Ronnie Arch. Elementary, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ronnie was, Ronnie, Raymond Palmer. Raymond, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regiment. Raymond, not too long ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, we went to go see Bean's son, uh, Kevin Bradley Jr. over at they were playing in the playoffs, I think it was, and uh, we saw him at, he, uh, at the school. So we all came back, you know, come out to support him. Obviously, it was so hard during the pandemic and try to get into the Willie West Pavilion, and you know, but uh, we all made the support that. But it was cool, man, just to see too Kevin Bradley. For those who the listeners, Kevin Bradley was, I mean, All American basketball player, Crenshaw High School, and mm-hmm. to have his son have, you know, have that DNA filter down into his son and for mm-hmm. him to carry that torch, it was pretty cool. So I said, man, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. Baron Davis came out, myself, uh, um, Raymond Palmer, uh, Robert Parker, um, Ollie Brent. I mean, there was all these guys from different generation that Kevin Bradley, because he was kind of centered because he was so young, he was kind of centered with the younger guys and the mm-hmm. old heads as well and brought mm-hmm. everybody back to come see his his son play. It was that was a, that was a special moment, man. We took pictures, a lot of pictures. Okay, no, that's good. I mean, yeah, because I've been knowing Kevin since I've been knowing Bean since I was about eleven, you know, yeah, maybe ten. Good man. I love that dude, man. He yeah, yeah. People. Always good been people. one of the realest always. dudes. Anytime always. Yeah, always the realest dude in the room. Yeah, yeah. always, always. Just funny. Yeah. Super yeah. Funny, just that real chill, low-key dude, quiet. Right. I mean, shout out, you know, rest in peace to his pops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. His pops was the loud one. Yeah. Pop, Ooh, boom, baby. You know, he was boom, like, baby. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bradley. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Bradley, uh, yeah. you know, so he was always like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um. So you're at, obviously, you, you know, did you go AAU? Did you play AAU basketball? Yeah, I did. I, I did play AAU. I played with uh, Tiny Flanoy, uh, Coach Kenny Bulls, of course. Yeah, Kane, yeah I played with him. I played with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I still have to take Tiny out to lunch, man, because uh, I owe him. So what I try to do is, um, you know, I try to reach out, you know, like I feel like every success, any success that I've ever accomplished in my life, I always think back and reach back to the people who helped me get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had time to spend time with my elementary principal before she passed away, Miss Shepard. Um, you know, teachers, Mr. Reed. Um, I literally like I'm I'm a super reflective dude, and I go back and think like, hey, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And I want to go spend time with those who helped me get there. And so, uh, Tiny, I'm uh, probably like three years, three years promised to go. <laughs> like we were gonna go out to lunch, and I haven't done it. But I'm actually gonna after I get off this, I'm gonna go reach out to him because Tiny was so instrumental. He taught me hard work. He taught me discipline. He was the equivalent of what my football coach, uh, Coach Garrett, was to me in football because Coach Garrett was hard-nosed, man. And Tiny, everybody knew in the hood that Tiny didn't – he didn't play. Like, Mm -hmm. if you were going to go to his program, he was going to teach you the fundamentals, right? He was going to teach you the basics. He was going to work you hard, run you, 
get on the line, seventeen <laughs> suicide. You know what I mean? So, um, but I loved him for that because that's what I that's what made me thrive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thrived mm-hmm. in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. And um, so yes, yeah, so I play AAU ball. Traveled the first time I'd ever traveled was with Tiny. You know, from Arizona. So it was the first time where sports took me to. We played in the BCI tournament. Yeah, BCI. I played yeah. with him. I played with Tiny in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in I was ninth grade. I was 14. Playing yeah, with you were playing up though. I think yeah. you because you were playing up. Um, I think I was playing to my age, to my age group. But uh, but yeah, I, I I remember that man. It was uh that was special, man. Those were special times, but uh that was one of the hard things is transitioning out of basketball because I just I missed that camaraderie, you know, having played basketball since I was just a little kid, like seven years, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found football, man. It was it was crazy because the athleticism from basketball mm-hmm. made me like like way better in football as a defensive end because mm-hmm. I had the footwork, right? I could get around the corner. So even though I wasn't physical, I didn't get the physicality until later. But I was recruited by Cal, Fresno, Colorado State. Uh, which was wild, San Diego State, Oregon, and I had zero basketball offers. <laughs> from Fullerton might have said, hey, we could bring you. I was like, I don't want to go to no Fullerton. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to let the scholarships speak for themselves. I guess I'm going to go play football. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of my football, um, football journey with the hope that I could play in college. Uh, I remember talking to Tony Gonzalez because he was playing both football and basketball at Cal. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, you should come over to Cal. You should come over to Cal. And I was like, ah, I don't know, but I ended up going to San Diego State, following my brother. That was the best decision I ever made because I had somebody there who, you know, obviously close to that mm-hmm. could give me the ropes of football. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah you know, I, I, I was, I was definitely. No, no, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like you had obviously your brother. That's unbelievable. You rarely see brothers actually make it to the same college at the same time. Right. You know, you see, you know, maybe one brother that's four or five years older than the next. So that, that's a, like I said, that's a tremendous blessing. So you have you chose uh, San Diego State, right, uh, to play football. Mm-hmm. Now, but I, I know it was probably hard to give up basketball, especially after the fact that you won state, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, city and state your senior year. Right. Um, and so I just feel like, man, I would have been like, uh, maybe I try out for basketball, but I mean, maybe you were just like, I'm gonna just focus on football. And then, yeah, no, no, I wanted to, I couldn't, there was no way. I mean, coach, coach Garrett gave me a hard time. Now coach West was very accepting of me playing two sports, but I had done something that no one had ever done at Crenshaw, um, because, uh, to play football and basketball, football and basketball just never got along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't even think till today, I don't think there's ever been anyone who's actually tried that because they were so demanding. Yeah. No. So to be able to play football and basketball was, you know, I got lucky in that regards that I could do it, but I was literally be leaving football practice and then headed into the basketball gym, you know? Um, and I remember Joe Weekly sometimes, um, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember him, you know, sometimes giving me the keys to lock up so I could shoot around after football practice. Sometimes I'd have to miss practice, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Just depending on schedules and stuff like that, when uh, daylight savings would come and it get darker or whatever and all that stuff. And I remember one time Coach Garrett caught me because the lights went out uh, in the gym and the hallway emergency lights were the only thing on. And I remember leaving the, the doors open, you know, the two doors on the side of the trophy case, mm-hmm. open so I could get some light in the gym and I'm shooting in the dark. 
and Coach Garrett, this is the night before the game, uh, a home game, and Coach Garrett opens the door. Here it is at like 8 o'clock at night, and I'm shooting by myself in the gym. That's how badly I wanted it. And Coach Garrett looked at me and was like, you're not focused on the football game. I came back the next day, and my locker was cleaned out. I'm like, Coach, somebody stole all my stuff. And I'm going, you left your locker open. Somebody probably stole it. He gave me the ran around for like maybe like 20 minutes before the game. He had my stuff in his in his uh, closet. And, but he was giving he was sending the message that I wasn't focused. But it was like, how do you do that? How do you focus on two sports, you know, that that kind of cross over with each other? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a, I feel like, you know, some coaches understand it. Like you said, Wes understood that you play football. That could be your way out. Right. It's all about getting a way out, either or. Like, if you want to play football, you want to play basketball, whatever the case is. Yeah, but you know what? Coach Garrett knew something that was very hard to tell to somebody because, you know, when you're in love with something, mm-hmm. it's like even like when, you know, when you start getting older and you're, you're not, you're not, you're missing a step and you're not as good as you used to be in your sport, mm-hmm. it's very hard to tell that person, hey, you don't have it anymore. And I think the truth was, is like, look, I'm 6'6", six, six, I'm playing center right? I'm playing, I'm playing the five and the four. You're not going anywhere in college. You're playing six, six as a center, right? So, and you know, I didn't have boosties. I wasn't jumping out the gym. I could dunk, but I couldn't, I didn't have boosties. Right, right, right. So, you know, Coach Garrett saw something I couldn't see in myself, but I wasn't going to let anybody tell me I was going to finish my senior <laughs> year. Like, I would have torn down that whole school. Like, I'm finishing my – and I'm winning the championship, man. Like, so I was able to pull that off, go off to San Diego State, and it would take me a long time. It took me about two years before I really grasped the game of football because I didn't even know how to play football, man. They just said, line up here in high school, get guy with football. So it was like, me, yes, mm. <laughs> get in front of me, mm. move around, get guy with ball. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know the terminology and everything was like a, a pump fake to me. I was like, like spinning and <laughs> what is this guy doing? But I had a knack to get to the ball, man. And it would end up being the biggest blessing. I always say and say this to coach Garrett, our relationship is this tight because he changed the trajectory of my life. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the pursuit that he had, he saw something in me that he, he was not going to let go. He never stopped pursuing me. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, parents, mentors, they can see certain things and qualities in kids that kids can't see in themselves. And it takes a special, it takes a special person not to give up. Right. Cause I know, I thought I knew it all. Right. Yeah. I'm sure I gave him enough attitude to where he would have been like, man, forget you, man. I'm, I'm done with you. And I would have probably ended up with no scholarship for basketball and who knows what my life would have been like mm-hmm. afterwards, right? Not mm-hmm. to say that I, you know, I wouldn't have been a successor or anything like that, but he changed the trajectory, man. He so like I, I'm always gonna give him mad props for that. No, no, definitely. I understand. No, sometimes, like I said, God puts a spirit on, on somebody to be like, yeah. no, this kid is this kid is you know like special. You know, yeah. I'm gonna keep pursuing him, you know, keep pursuing him. Kind of like it's always a funny story about Larry Bird. He was like, you know, dropped out of Indiana was working, you know, uh, and then like the coach from Indiana State just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept being on him. And uh, he finally caved in, you know, and, and he told his mom he was going to graduate from college. And then he became obviously one of the greatest players ever in the NBA history. So yeah. it might not have been a Larry Bird if a coach that wasn't on him, like, you know, the, your coach was on you. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> You know, it's crazy. I was just thinking my first practice at San Diego State. And the coach goes, um, 
<laughs> oh, man, I don't know. You just said that. It just made me think of this. But my, uh, my defensive line coach, Ken Delgado, he goes, hey, I want you to line up in the five technique over the tackle. And I'm like, coach, which which one's the tackle? <laughs> I'm on full scholarship now, right? I'm on full scholarship. That's like somebody said, hey, are we going to run one four high low? You're like, hold on, what's a one four? You're like, what? <laughs> that's basic That's basic basketball. You, know what I mean? you don't know one four, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so he looked at me like I was crazy. And he was like, this is the tackle. This is the guard. This is the center. And this is the mother... Tight end. <laughs> I was like, well, I never forgot that one. <laughs> right, right. No, no, that's, that's hella yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I get that. Like I said, I understand that. Yeah. So obviously we just talked about a little bit of it, um, but what was the hardest thing making that transition from high school football to college? The, the hardest transition was leaving my friends behind. Uh, mm -hmm. That was one. That was mm -hmm. the hardest part because I cried on my drive to San Diego. That was the hardest uh, transition. But I think making the transition to basketball was the, there's a sense of insecurity because you've invested so much in one thing and it leaves you very, very vulnerable. It's like starting, it's like um, working in an industry for 30 years and then saying, all right, tomorrow you got to start a new career. And you're going to be like, yo, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to it's that type of pressure, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So making that transition wasn't easy. And then knowing that, and I almost had, I had the imposter syndrome too. Mm -hmm. I had this imposter syndrome like, okay, there are a lot of people who are going to think I just got a scholarship because of my brother. There are mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of people who think like this guy never played football. Um, I'm like, how did I, you know, and I started thinking like, how did I get here? Like, maybe I shouldn't be here. I don't even know football like that. You know, Right, right, um, right. And so that part was hard. So it was mostly me dealing with me um, than it was anything else because there were all these different things inside of my head. Mm -hmm. um, that was hard part. And then following behind, um, and I've talked to certain like Chris Walton, um, you know, he went to San Diego State, but, you know, I spent mm -hmm. time talking with him. Tony mm -hmm. Gwynn Jr. When you play behind someone who's, you know, or you're in the same family lineage. So for Chris, obviously his dad is, you know, Bill Walton and his brothers, Luke and, you know, Tony Gwynn Jr. His father is the Tony Gwynn, right? You know, there's this thing that we connected about because we know what it's like to play in the shadow of. When you play yeah. in the shadow of, man, that's, that's extra pressure on top of pressure because no matter what you do, people will always compare you to, in their case, their fathers, in my case, my, my brother. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to, you're trying to break that. You're trying to get your own identity while you're struggling with the uh, imposter syndrome. So, but once I settled, and I think the, the speech that helped me settle, because I remember there was my sophomore year, man, I had a, a complete meltdown. Um, and I had never had a meltdown like that. I grew up in a Nigerian household. So, you know, my parents always, you know, preach being tough. But my defensive line coach, same guy, Coach Delgado, he brought me in and I was about to just give it all up, man, because I had just had enough. I just felt like I couldn't shake the, the shadow of my brothers. I couldn't, my brother, I couldn't get it. And he goes, you're a lion. Your brother is a cheetah. A lion never looks to a cheetah and says, I wish I was a cheetah. A cheetah never looks to a lion and goes, I wish I was a cheetah, a, a, a lion, because the cheetah is the fastest animal on the planet, right? 
Mm-hmm. The lion is the strongest, right? It's the king of the jungle. Mm-hmm. So they both have their innate equalities that makes them very, very special. And they're not willing to give it up to be mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when he said that to me, it just hit, it clicked. And that's when I started to accept who I was. I said, you know what? I'm going to be right. I, I don't have to be my brother. I don't, because he was a cheater. Like, I mean, <laughs> the reason why he ended up being the all-time sack leader for San Diego State, the all-time sack leader for the Packers, because he was just, he was that guy. He was a beast. And so, you know, I, I, once I settled that I am who I am and I don't have to compare myself to my brother, mm-hmm. I think that's when my, my college football career started. So I really say my college football career started the end of my sophomore year. That's when it, it, okay. it clicked over for me. And after that, I never looked back. I gave up on basketball, still watched it. Uh, still support it. Uh, another fun story. My one last glimpse of basketball glory was uh, Steve Fisher, uh, of course, who coached the Fab Five in Michigan, came over to San Diego State. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. And uh, he had a closed practice. And he knew how much I loved it because I was always talking, I'm from Crenshaw, I'm from Crenshaw, I went to Crenshaw. I, like, I mean, anybody who knows me, I, I, I might say Crenshaw at least 100 times before <laughs> the day is over. And so um, everybody knew how much I loved basketball. I'd play with the basketball players, whatever. But I got a chance to run um, run um, scrimmage with, uh, with the San Diego State basketball team and Chris Webb. Because oh. Chris Webb came in. Now, Chris Webb was only staying on the sidelines. He just sideline shots i mean you know he was just running the running the, the sidelines so it was but it was still cool to know I'm like dang man this is cool that was the last time i really got a chance to at a high level to play basketball okay uh, yeah but it was fun that was fun yeah, that's cool that's, yeah. that's really cool okay so you you after you you know you you figure out you're a lion and your brother's a cheetah yep uh you take you take off what would you say was your biggest triumph in in college the biggest triumph was, you know, I think, um, and biggest failure too. So both. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the biggest triumph was probably my my arrival game. My arrival game was because everybody has that one game that mm-hmm, that cements mm-hmm. like, hey, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was uh, Arizona State in 2000. It was in September of 2000, and I just had the game of my life three sacks, I think like seven or eight tackles or something crazy. I was just, I was just all over the place. They couldn't stop me. I just, I was in a groove. I wasn't going up against Levi Jones who turned around to be a first round draft pick. Um, and, you know, offensive lineman stud, stud offensive lineman, but just had the game of my life. And it felt good to know that, you know, that I had arrived, you know, my brother was already in the league. So it was essentially my time, my, my era. And mm-hmm. to show up on the first game, I think it was the first or second game. Um, but then a couple of days later, I had probably the worst setback. Um, actually, a day later, I tore my Achilles in a biking accident. Oh. Uh, yep, in 2000, it ripped my Achilles. And just like that, all of the momentum and the air and the balloon just, just like that. And I would have to start back over. And that was probably the hardest thing. Um, I had to switch my position because I wasn't as fast as I used to be. You know, that was, you know, an Achilles injury can be career ending. Yes. And yes, yeah, yes. So I, I ballooned up to 300 pounds and I was playing defensive tackle. Now I felt fat and I just I was <laughs> breathing heavy. Just I felt like I always had to go to the restroom. <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? Like my belly was sticking out. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't look at my, you know, my like I, could, I couldn't see nothing. 
So it was just uncomfortable, bro. I was like, man. And my coach was like, no, this is a perfect position for you. You got to, you're a defensive tackle. I was like, I can't do it. I could, I like, I played one year fat. And I said, coach, I'm done. <laughs> I, am done. I, lost, I lost 50 pounds, man. I was like, I can't be fat, man. It just, it's not, that's not, I can't do it. Can't do it. I, I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> So, I went back out to defensive end, and then um, I, I did get a blessing because the NCAA granted me a sixth year of eligibility. Oh, because okay, okay. because of my Achilles, and then I was able to thrive then. And I, I would say my biggest failure, though, was um, I think to me in in my football career is probably not learning the game. Um, all the way through, because I think that would later get me in the NFL because mm-hmm. I just knew the defensive line position. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. more to that. There's learning the linebacker and learning the, the, the entire defense and what the DBs are doing behind me, learning the offense and learning the different. So there's this, there's this multi-level layer of understanding being a student of the game. And, um, and, and to me, it's a, it's a great testimony in that, in anything that you do in life, you should be a, a student of the game. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Your talents can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. My talents just accelerate the story. My talents got me to the NFL as an undrafted free agent to the Oakland Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would play there a couple of years. Then I got cut. Um, I got cut in 2005. So I was with the Raiders, 03, 04, got cut in 05, landed with the Chargers in 2006. But in the reason why I got cut with the Raiders in 2005 is because they switched me from defensive end because I got all my athleticism back. I got my speed back. I got my boosties back. So I was back right from that traumatic injury. Then they put me to outside linebacker. And that's when I got exposed. It was like, Hey, we want you to drop to the hook to curl. What? We want you to open a number two wide receiver and the receiver is going to, when he runs that post and he runs that seven, and he runs that corner route. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> like, because for as a defensive lineman, you don't have to know much. You just big guy in front of me, get rid of him, make the tackle or mm-hmm. make the sack. That's it. And so once I went one layer back and playing linebacker, I realized I was exposed. So I had a lot of catching up to do. But in the NFL, and as you know, because you played pro ball too, is that they don't have a lot of time for you. They don't have a lot of patience. It's no. like, you got to get this. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. But if you can't get it, you're done. So I went to the Chargers in 2006, ran into a great coach, Greg Minuski, who taught me football from the linebacker position. And he helped me eventually start my broadcasting career because that knowledge allowed me to be able to call football games later in life. Mm-hmm. And I say that because it was a failure of mine because I think I could have played, you know, six, seven, eight maybe 10 years in the league. That was my dream was to be able to play at least a decade in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but that got cut short, only playing four seasons in five years, five years. And um, so I, I look at that as, as a failure because, and I would always encourage anybody, whatever you do, man, make sure you know all the entire industry that you're in, but don't just be one dimensional, be multidimensional in whatever area you are. So you can always have, you have depth to yourself. Okay, yeah, that actually makes sense. And like the fact that you learned, I mean, you eventually learned everything, but right. I imagine like going to outside linebacker, you know, and have to learn how to cover, uh, that, that's probably like, <laughs> imagine if uh, like Von Miller 
you know, I'm not saying he, he can't cover, but as he beats, oh, I'm going to move him back and this, he has to cover running backs or tight ends. Or he to play safety, but it, it really be- depends on, because it depends on your, not only your athleticism, mm-hmm. right? There's certain things because of Von Miller's size and all this other stuff, but it's your knowledge of the game to be able to see the game happening. I think in basketball world, it, I mean, I felt like basketball is so interchangeable, though. It's more interchangeable than football, but it would be like the traditional five trying to run point and yeah. if you know how to run the floor and you're not a floor general it ain't gonna happen you don't have the ball handling skills um like even now like i got a daughter this is how it impacted me like my 12 year old daughter same age as your son mm-hmm. she's playing volleyball and right now she has the same trajectory as me she's 5 11 at 12 years old she's so tall right she's taller than everyone and i'm like i don't want the coaches just making her one dimensional mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like she needs to play all the other positions, because what if she stops? What if she doesn't end up becoming 6'3", and she mm-hmm. stops at 5'11", right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it's the same thing in life. You, like, you walk into a, you know, a business or you walk into an industry, like, you got to know the different areas that applies to you. And so, for me, it was, uh, it was that, that was hard, man. It, it humbles you, too, man. When you don't know, it humbles you very quickly. No, I agree with you 100% on that one. I think, um, you know, when I was overseas, it's a situation where like they want Americans to kind of like basically come in and instantly be the best player. Yeah, and that's what I you faced when you were at, was that Portugal? Yeah, uh, I went to uh, Colombia, Bogota. Yeah, Bogota. Pretty yeah. much what happened with, with, with that one was um, I came in like, you know, after college and not really knowing the pro game. Uh, you know, just knowing college, how to in college, like if you get double team, pass it out, if you know, certain things, but it, when you're overseas, you got to get your points, you know, and uh, no matter what, and like their game is more of a slow down, more physical game. Okay. And so they play zone, they, 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 you know, they can put double teams, triple teams and Americans got to perform. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember my first game in Bogota, I had about eight points because they was just I was an American, so they just, every time I caught it, it was double team. Yeah. So I'm like, I pass it out, pass it out. The dudes wasn't hitting, and so like we lost. And my coach was like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Coach, you ain't watching the game." You know what I'm saying? Like they double team me every time I, I get the ball. You want me to shoot off the double team? I don't know what you got to do. Fix it. So, you know, you just, I had to learn. Like, okay, the other Americans, other Americans came and was like, "Look, you got to just you got to." Sometimes you got to shoot terrible shots. They want you shooting terrible shots sometimes rather than them, like the Colombians shooting the open shot, yeah. you know? And so like, for me, it was just learning how to get my points, like get tip backs, you know, uh, get put backs or go to offensive glass or catch it and go before the double team comes or whatever the case is, don't wait. And so like, yeah. man, It's crazy to hear that because, you know, I can imagine like at your point, you know, having played at UCLA, making it to the pros, being on the international scene and then having to make this adjustment just when you started to feel like, Oh, I'm comfortable. Like I, I know what I'm doing. Right. And then all of a sudden like, hold on, there's, there's another change. There's another, <laughs> wait, what? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, don't yeah. play this. I don't, I don't, I don't know how this is done. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. But so, I think those are the people who always end up being successful like yourself, like people who can adjust. My coach always told me this, he goes sudden change. Mm-hmm. And we used to do this drill in football where we'd be on the sideline, we'd be talking, and we'd just be goofing off like the coach let us goof off. And then at any time, it was like like state of emergency, like 
sudden change. And as soon as you heard sudden change, you had to run out. You had to find your helmet. You got to get up and you got to go. You got to make those changes. You have no time to think about what you didn't know, what you weren't ready, what like you just, you got to go, right? And um, so that's how I treat those changes in life. Like, hey, sudden change. You're either going to sink or you're going to float and, and keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I got you. Um, it's the same thing. Uh, I remember from in college, I, they bulked me up because I was taking the creatine and double creatine and all that. But yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Hot water in the warm water. And mix yeah, I hated that. They, they, oh, I hated at least it. they had Gatorade. Uh, but I was like, man, I don't want to, and I, don't, you know, I feel sluggish, coach. But you need to bulk up because you got to play big man. And so, like in in Europe, I was like, okay, well, these dudes. It's just a different style, so I got to be quicker. Yeah. So before I went to Europe, literally right before I went to Europe, I lost like 35, 40 pounds. Um, I did it in a in a, a very, very extreme way that I don't recommend for anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I cut my meals down to one meal a day. I worked out, you know, three times a day. And if after I ate, let's just say at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock mostly, I would go to the track and run like two miles, basically run that off um wow. at night you know just to lose kind of the weight yeah. you know and i worked out with my dad like a lot every morning like he would we would shoot and then we would go to the track and you know and work out so like yeah I, that was a little your bit more heaviest, extreme. what was your lightest uh my heaviest was probably like i was about 270 at, at long beach no State. no I, yeah i got up to 270 at long beach state got up to 270 uh my lightest was in europe because i didn't know how to cook yeah. <laughs> so um I got I got down to like 215 uh playing forward, you know. And so like I was like 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 this, but like oh teams who had traditional big man, they would just punish me. Yeah. Uh down low because I was just so light. Um my first year they thought I was sick because so, I was so skinny in my neck and like so they I had to go to the doctor all the time because they would think I was like so skinny, you know. Wow. Um, it used to be funny. Can you still dunk? Yes. I dunked yesterday. Oh, really? In my league, in the little 40 and up league. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little left-hand dunk, like nothing, nothing spectacular, but hey. Are you left-handed? Yeah. Oh, I'm left-handed too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think yeah. what Coach West said to me too. He's like, yeah, that's right. I, I think he did say that to me. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, left-handed. Still could dunk. I had to get back in some shape to, you know, be able to dunk because I had once I quit basketball, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch it. I didn't, I, I didn't do anything. It, isn't it crazy? Because there, there is that, there is something that a lot of players go through where you have to kind of disassociate yourself from the game to be able to kind of cleanse because it was so much a part of your life. And some people don't get it. Like, oh, it's just a game. Like, no, man, it was, it was actually a part of my life. Like most people never invest the kind of time that we did in our athletics. And, you know, I, I always get upset when people just, you know, minimize athletes and, oh, it's just a game. It's just sports. Like, you know, there are not a lot of people who can dedicate from a young age mm-hmm. in one area and become a master in one area. No matter, nobody can ever take it. You got a scholarship to play basketball. You played division one basketball mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. any divisions of basketball <laughs> at college level. You were a master at your because that means you spent thousands of hours in playing that sport like everybody who ever played collegiate sport can go out and coach at some level because mm. mastered a certain level of the game and it Agreed. never leaves you but you know a lot of people who who say that they've never invested that type of 
time into anything in their life. Never anything. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, Man, like, you know, they don't understand the discipline of it, man. And like, for me, like, like, you know what I'm saying? We were blessed because we was at that point, 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 zero, 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 point nine percent to make it to college. Because you figure how many high schools of it, and we actually make it to college. And then you you made it to like, I know it's even probably harder in NFL than it is basketball. Um, You at that point zero 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 nine make it to the nfl right and uh you know same with me in basketball so i think that like people don't realize like you said when you said like imagine yourself going playing being something for 20 something years and then switching you know and that's how it was uh for you know for me like i was i played basketball when i was like six to like 30 31 you know or 32 32 i retired at 32 yeah uh, and so, it's like, that's twenty. Of your life. Yeah, and yeah. so imagine that, and then all of a sudden, okay, figure it out. What you know, pr- pr- provide for your son who was three at the time. Yeah. Figure what you're gonna do. What's next? And you just like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. And and, and it's and it's safe. I was just talking to a guy um, who I'll keep his name, uh, you know, remain silent on his name, but just left the NFL, and we were ch- chopping up. He's just trying to figure out how to and you know how he was going to transition and i asked him i said so what's next and he goes i don't know and i said that's good that's really good and the reason why is because you have to give yourself time to be able to figure it out like you know there's so much pressure it's like asking a kid what do you want to be when you grow up what I don't know. I'm seven. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I'm going to be exposed to between now and 20. Like, yeah, yeah. Mean? Like, mm-hmm. It's such an unfair question. And I think it's an unfair expectation for guys to figure it out immediately. And I think there's about a three-year window for players when they transition to figure it out because you do mm-hmm. have to kind of slowly walk yourself back and you got to yeah. go through your process. And there's, there's the ups and the downs and there's the identity crisis. Because mm-hmm. figuring out, hold on, who am I? Am I am I just an athlete? Am I more than an athlete? Mm-hmm. What are my mm-hmm. strengths? What are my passions? And, um, and yeah, and that takes time. So it, it, it's a fair it's a fair answer that you said. Like I don't know because you gave twenty five years of your life. It's the same thing. People say this. It's like what athletes go through when they're done with professional sports is the same equivalence to the uh, the same emotion that empty nesters go through. They've raised their kids up, this loud house with all these kids. And then just like that, they're off on their own. And you're just, no, my dad said it best. He goes, the scary thing is when all the kids are out of the house, the loudest thing in the house is silence. Like, think about that. Like, it's silent. Yeah, like, what do I do? What should I do with my time? I don't have to take anybody to school. I don't have homework to check. Or people who retire. They've been working in an industry for 30 years. And then they're done. Like they don't have yeah, to go back to work yeah. anymore. So like, that's the same thing we go through, but people see, you know, the glory of sports and they go, Oh, they'll be fine. That's not a big deal, but it, it's devastating, man. It's devastating. It's an emotional shakeup. It is, man. And I tell people, you know, like, you know, uh, people I've interviewed and, you know, people I've talked to, you know, people wonder why athletes have like substance abuse problems or they just, you know, like they have issues after sports. It's because once the lights go out and you have no idea what you're going to do, you need a strong support system, you know, because like for me, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, like I got to a low place, um, really, really low after sports because I just didn't know 
where to where to go, who to turn to, who to talk to. I was just mad. I was just mad at myself. I was mad at the world. I was mad at God. I was just mad, you know, because I just was like, why? I wanted to play. I wanted to play longer, but you know, God was like, all right, it's time, you know. And you know, I had to kind of like it took me like a couple years to kind of get up off that you know, off that concrete, you know, because yeah. it was like I was on the concrete, just didn't know, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, to kind of you know, keep going and keep going to get a breakthrough to like figure out what the heck it is that I want to do, you know? And, you know, even th searching through jobs and just trying to provide and just trying to figure out my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that because, you know, I think we've all gone through that, man, that where you feel like, and some people get lower than others as far as just like how deep, especially if you don't have that, that support group and that community, man, it's extremely difficult, bro. Like that's one of those things when people talk about mental health, there's an element to transition that impacts the mental health of, of any person, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's cool. It's just courageous to even just talk about it, you know? Um, no, no, it's, it's, it's so much, cause it's, you know, especially in our community, you know, uh, African-American community, it's, it's frowned upon in a way, you know? Right, like right. real men don't talk their feelings with a therapist or whatever the case right. is. And you just got to suck it up. And, you know, and, and obviously our harsh realities of things happening with friends or family members growing up where they maybe not no longer here. You just got to just go through it and just be a man at a young age. And, right. You know, for me, uh, it's like, you know, a certain form of maybe P PTSD, you know, for just, you know, living in the hood, you know, hood PTSD. <laughs> Yeah. 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 You, you know, that's a, and that's a fair, I think that's a fair assessment. You know, mm -hmm, I'm sure there mm -hmm. might be people like, how dare you say PTSD? No, like when you see somebody get shot, when you see a dead body in the alley, when you see, you know, people getting raped, when you see, you know, people doing drugs, like that's not normal for a kid to see. No, hey, no, it's not a normal, you know, yeah. you see your first, not first. I mean, well, you, you experience your first drive by and then you see many more afterwards. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I remember the time where there was a shootout at the park, you know, like right there on Slauson. And I'm like, and I'm telling everybody at the pool to get down. I'm like, I'm, but I'm 12. You know, I'm, I'm the same age my daughter is right now. <laughs> and and here I am, and I'm seeing people shooting each other back and forth. Like, that, that, that does cause PTSD because you're not supposed to see stuff like that, at least yeah. not in real life. No, no, I agree. I, you know, my, and I'm not saying anything is compared, like you said, PTSD is compared to military because my father was in the military. He's in yeah. the Air Force. So trust me, I, I he yeah, no, there's levels, No, there's levels to it. But, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I'm just saying that because there are people out there yeah, who yeah. want to be irate about everything and anything. <laughs> like, so I had to qualify it for those who don't know, mm -hmm. you know what it was like to grow up in our neighborhood. Like, you know, that's not normal. You know what no, I mean? No, it's not. And it. it it, we become accustomed to it. That's how right. bad it is. You know, right. it's like, oh yeah, he's like, oh they shoot, man, they shoot. Oh, they shoot, dog. Oh, yeah, they shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> accustomed to violence, bro. That's real talk right there. And I was saying, like, when you can be desensitized to the point, like, that's bad. Like, if you're 10 years old and you know what I'm saying, like, you're desensitized to that. Like, just mm -hmm. think about the mm -hmm. amount of violence you had to witness in order to be decent. Yeah, now think about, yeah, you're like you said, think about that. You're right. 10, 11, 12, and you're like, oh man, somebody getting up, ooh, he getting beat up, or oh, he's, right. you know, whatever, because you've seen it so much. Right. And or to so, have your life threatened, or yeah. to learn about the color that you're wearing, and to think, 
And every day we have to wake up and think like, man, this could be my last day. Or even to be a young kid like myself and thinking, I may not make it to 18. You know what I mean? Like to have that as a legitimate thought, like, like somebody could cap me real quick and that's it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just never know. So like I said, it's just been a blessing to have on our journey to get to where we're at now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, like your stories like yourself, like it needs to be told because it's such a success story. We need, we always hear about the bad. Right. The bad is always told. Yeah. But that's, we need to hear more of the positive, you know, like how, yeah. did you, how did you get after? Because I, that, that leads me to my next question for you. Um, you know, based on your experience, you know, what would you tell uh, the younger Akbar, like saying the high school going to college Akbar or the college Akbar going, to, you know, professional, either football or basketball, you know, like what would you, what advice would you give to him? Oh boy. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I'd probably say, you know, to be patient because there's that, that was that strong desire to just, you know, try to, to manufacture or to force greatness or to force the moment uh, and letting things happen, mm-hmm. you know, um, but to be prepared, but to let things happen. Um, and, and I had spurts of those in my career after football where just being prepared and then letting the moment happen rather than trying to debo every situation and opportunity, because sometimes too, you can be over aggressive and you miss the blessing that's around the corner. You know, it'd been like me, you know, pursuing basketball with so much, you know, you know, like intensity that I almost missed the blessing of football, but I didn't know it at the time. Right. Right, Um, right, Other opportunities in my life where you're so fixated on something that you're, you're, you're unable to, to have any type of peripheral vision. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I think the mm-hmm. greatest gift that God has given all of us is vision, whether you can physically see or not, but is the ability to imagine and to see, have peripheral vision, um, to be able to have peripheral vision and see, you know, the outside, right? To be able to get perspective. I think that's what they call it is perspective. The word, that's the perfect yeah. word. Perfect yeah, word. Yeah. So the, yeah, and, and that helped me, you know, as I transitioned out of the NFL, um, the one blessing that I did love was that I knew that, at, you know, the end was coming. And again, knowing that I had perspective and I had a little bit of peripheral say, Hey, look, I got to be honest with myself. This NFL career ain't shaking out the way I wanted it to go. So I started to build while I was in the NFL and making relations in the broadcast area. And, you know, I was scared because, you know, the broadcasting world was usually, and still is really, it's, there's still an elitism to it where you had to have some sort of decorated career to, in order to get the big jobs mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm, in broadcasting. And so mm-hmm. I ended up, and it's a, it's a funny story, but great story. <clears throat> the way I ended up getting into broadcasting was I, I called it my backdoor approach. I wrote a book about it called Everyone Can Be a Ninja um, about you know my, my the underdog path to success. And uh, I went to San Diego State, played for the San Diego Chargers for one year. Uh, I went to the area that I developed the most amount of relationships in San Diego. And I went to the local NBC station and I was like, uh, hey, my name is Akbar. I'd love to do the post-game show for the Chargers and the Aztecs. And they were like, "Uh, okay. I said, oh, by the way, I'll do it for free. Got it. it." (laughs) I was like, and that's, that's how I got in. 
And, you know, at the time I had only, you know, I left the NFL, you know, relatively, you know, in the grand team thing, I'm super blessed. Uh, I had left the NFL with about $300,000 and that's a lot of money. I'm not saying that's not a lot of money, but for an NFL guy, that was, you know, that was, that's not that much for an NFL guy for, for the type of money that you can make. Um, and I utilized that money to help me start a career. So, mm-hmm. um, and I just said, well, I'm going to invest in myself. Mm-hmm. So I worked for free for two years building up my career because I knew all my boys who I went to school with that didn't play ball, that were just students, mm-hmm. they had already been in the workforce for four or five years already developing their skills in this new job and in their careers. Whereas I was in a career, but then I got out of that career. That career is short-lived, which is professional sports. And so I said, how can I accelerate this? And so I went to that local station. They gave me the job for two years. I built on that. After that, I started calling college football games for the Mountain West. Mm -hmm. The Mountain West that led to me getting a job at CBS um, College Sports Network, where I started calling football games for Conference USA. Then I got my big break. And the big break was in 2012 when I got called in for an audition for uh, the NFL Network. And the NFL Network uh, was doing fantasy football. I faked the funk. I studied for like two weeks. <laughs> I had no idea. I never played fantasy football. Never heard of it. I was never into it. And I went up there. I just lied through my teeth, man, because I, I was just talking the talk, but I had no idea. But I nailed it. I got it. I got the thing. And uh, the year after that, in 2013, which is, and this is just how God works, man, right? Like when you can just kind of sit back and step back. Um, uh, 2013, the following year, I get a phone call from NBC saying, hey, there's an audition for this show called American Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. And I nailed that audition. And after that, you know, that was the start of my entertainment career. So I was doing sports broadcasting that kind of segued into entertainment and before you know it, the two just started to go up and up and up. And what was this? Uh, oof, 10 years, eight years, nine years later, I end up getting um, the, the host on the talk, which I would have never Travis in a million years. It was like a dream of mine to have to be on a talk show, to be able to have real conversation like this. Mm-hmm. But that format was really just given to to women, like women own that space. And, and yeah. right now, because what Oprah and Ellen and, you know, and people have done, but to be able to be one of the new hosts on um, the talk with Jerry O'Connell, Cheryl Underwood, Amanda Klutz, Natalie Morales, um, it's, man, that's special, man. And so Mm -hmm. I I think Mm -hmm. it's just a testament to, you know, perseverance. And that would be the other thing. So if perspective is one thing, I would tell young Akbar, the other thing would be perseverance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, perseverance is trusting that God will put you, you know, will order your next step. No, man. Like, yeah, I was, like I said, when, when I saw, when I saw you on a, when I, I and this is years ago, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, like you were one of the few things I actually watched on TV, you know, um, I watched Wipeout, but I was like, Wipeout's cool. But then I watched y'all show. Way better than Wipeout. We're way better than yeah, Wipeout. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I like American Ninja Warrior a little bit better, you know? Yeah. You know, why, you know, like, anyway, but like, I thought, you know, I was like, okay. And then I was like, my boy's on there. I was like, that's cool. You know? Yeah. And I just, I've watched your career kind of blossom, you know, from the transition from football to, 
uh, you know, broadcasting to, you know, TV show host, you know, and now on the talk, which is like, when you announced it, I was like, what? Yeah. I can't believe it, man. That's cool. You I know? said the same thing too. I said the exact same thing. <laughs> what? I, <can't> <laughs> I couldn't believe it, man. No, yeah. that's what I said. I was like, man, that's, that's crazy. And then, cause you know, like I told you, like my dad was like, you mean I'm from American Ninja Warrior? Cause I told you he watches that too. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, dad, he's on the talk now. He was like, he's not on the view, right? I'm like, no, no, dad, that's all women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, all, women. that's all women, dad. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> it's all women. You know what I'm saying? No. The talk, the talk. You know, I was like, man, that's crazy. And so I was like, I had to reach out. And when you reached out to him, I was like, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I wanted to reach out to you anyway, just kind of pick your brain on like, man, like, how did you, you know, make that transition from, you know, football player, professional to, you know, sports broadcast, and that's, you know, that's obviously good, but like the fact that you American Ninja Warrior to the talk, that's like the hard and stepping out of a different space. You know, the hardest part was really going back and, and, and finding the, I, people always ask me, well, what was the key? Well, I did broadcast boot camp um, that the NFL hosted, which they got a bunch of professionals to kind of get, take you to a two or three day seminar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the hardest part was trying to make the key. And I always tell people like who've asked, like they wanted to get into broadcasting, like, especially in this era where we have mediums like this, where you hosted a successful YouTube channel that kind of parlayed into your own part or your own podcast is that you have these different avenues. But if you master, like there's so many different things out there, people are curious what the best thing that social media and these platforms, all these different mediums have done They've really, they've really um, heightened people's desire to want to learn. Mm -hmm. You only have to be a master of what you know. Like if I wanted to start a, you know, a, a channel on how to open up a phone and you know recreate cameras, and I was an expert at that. Guess what? People will follow and people will pay you for that. Yes. Like stick to what you know. Like you don't have to know and be everything. Just be really, really good at what you at what you and what you know, what you love. And for me, I knew like, hey, look, I went to San Diego State. I played for the Chargers. I know Chargers. I know, you know, San Diego because I spent, you know, my my younger years there. And mm -hmm. that's what I know. Mm -hmm. And I stuck to that. And it was and it was cool, too. It was opportunistic because San Diego is a smaller market than Los Angeles. Had mm -hmm. I played at UCLA, I would have had to come up with a different strategy because LA everybody <laughs> you know I mean? if I walked up to LA and NBC and say hey I'll do it for free we're like who cares <laughs> like got a million choices you know what I mean yeah yeah so, yeah yeah just being able to find that window hey what's the window of opportunity or where are the opportunities that I know I can get in or where I can create sometimes mm -hmm. it's getting in other times it's creating like you like seriously kudos it's not easy to start your own podcast but you didn't let that stop you you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there was some hesitancy and like, oh, should I, da, da. you know, like even going back to your very first one, you know what I mean? Trying yeah, to figure out yeah. what the, the sound of your first podcast sounds very different than, you know, your, your, your last podcast, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you were finding your voice, but you took your lumps early. Many people are like, oh man, well, that's because he was, you know, he, he went to UCLA and he played pro ball. And that's why he's like, no, nah, no, nah, hold on. Like I took some, I took my lumps early on. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? like, it's the only way you get better. Say, I, I know I took my lumps. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. No, no, no. And like I said, I didn't, you was always good to me. Cause I, you know, I, I'm just watching you. So, uh, but I got, I imagine like now you're so polished compared to where you were 
eight years ago, first coming out of, you know, out of yeah. retirement and stuff like that. So yeah, for me, I feel, I feel a lot comfortable, a lot more comfortable than I did the first time I did this. First time I was like, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. But now I'm like, I mean, you can just fire up the mic. All right, let's go. Let's just have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Art of conversation that really, it doesn't even matter what your past is because, you know, in 10 years, people are like, UCLA, what, Travis, who? Like, <laughs> just because, you know, like, it's just like the the the, the circle of life, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to be out with mm-hmm. the old and with the new. But the mm-hmm. one thing that never gets old is the art of conversation, right? Because if you can bring that out of people, you can be able to connect with people um and yeah so so yeah man that's uh it's it's a it's a cool platform you have bro definitely man well like i said i appreciate it you are one of the inspirations uh to me you know it's uh, trust me a lot of other people in our position we look up to you as far as uh like making it like you want to get to akbar's level you know as far as like entertainment and hosting and tv shows and everything like that i mean i know i was like man shoot if I get the Akbar level, I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, by the grace of God, man. You never know. Maybe one day, man, we'll do we'll end up doing something together. Hey, that'd be sweet, man. Like I said, the Chris y'all boys. It's something yeah. like that. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> glad. You never know, man. All right. Well, last, last the final question. And uh, you know, I'll let you get out of here. All and then right. you can, you know, promote whatever you want to promote, you know, okay. all that. So um at, at every point in you know, every professional athlete's career basketball, football, baseball, whatever, they get to low points, you know, like the way they just kind of like, they don't know if they're going to make it, you know? And I wanted to know, like, what was your, how did you get out of that stretch? You know, how did you get out of that, that low point of like, okay, all right, let me suck it up and kind of get out of, you know, get out of that. You know what? It, it was something that, it, and it sounds so simple, and, and I apologize ahead of time because it's not as prophetic as it, it should probably be, but it, it it really was the power of visualization. And you'd be like, well, hold on, what, what does that mean? Like when I was a kid, I fixated on driving with driving a car with my with my with the seat leaned back. You remember that? Like that. Was, <laughs> I had aspirations of being able to drive with one hand, being cool. I wanted the shiny silver rim, rims and, you know, I wanted to play loud music in the back of my trunk. Like, and I would, I would visualize that over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. you know, as I grew out of that, I visualized on other things, but when I was at my lowest, right. Um, you know, in transitioning, having self doubt, unsure of myself, unsure of my talents, my worth, um, I visualize on what it is that I wanted to do next. And that's the hardest part because the hardest person to get to know is yourself because we all have denials. We can deny anything we want about, oh, I'm not that, I'm not this, I'm not that. And we try to frame ourselves as this perfect person so we can be comfortable with ourselves. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. once you break all of that and you humble yourself and you go, hey, hold on, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What is it that I want? You know, and I ask a lot of guys this too, like when they get out, you know, hey, what is it that you want to do? And the guys who I think are the, in danger of hitting the lows of the lows are the ones that just start spitting out like 40 different, like, I want to do this. I'm going to get in broadcast. Then I'm going to act. Then I'm going to get in the music lab. And then after that, I'm going to be coaching. And then I'm going to get, you know, start a trucking business. Then I want to open up franchises. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, yo, what? <laughs> how, how do you plan on doing all of that? Like, that's a lot. Like you got to really focus in 
but the anxiety and the reason why it's called like self-sabotage. People have all of these different ideas going in 20 different directions because it helps them not stay focused. And they will literally start trying to do the truck driving, the uh, franchise, the broadcasting, the acting. And then before you know it, they just start blaming each other. Oh man, I could have been this, but I, I had the truck driving thing, but I could have done that, but acting and I had this audition. And it's like, you're just making excuses. So at the lowest, I took that time when I felt naked and afraid I took that time to just really stay prayed up and mm -hmm. focused on what I want. Because like a navigation system, once you punch the destination in, it will give you your route. It mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. give you your route. And it's the same thing with visualization. Once you visualize, you're setting a destination and everything else starts to follow. Now, sometimes you notice on the navigation, they'll give you a fast route and they'll give you an alternate route, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, which one am I taking? Right. It doesn't make it as easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be seamless, but mm -hmm. there are different routes to get to that destination. Mm -hmm. But most mm -hmm. people don't have enough gas or endurance to even make it all the way through. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the difference in 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 those who make it out is the people because it may not it may not happen in a year. Like for me, my you know, people look and go, Oh man, Akbar, you made it. And I was like, you know, as whereas I feel blessed by that. I'm like, but there was a story before that, like. You know, I got done in the league in 2008. Mm -hmm. I got my first real opportunity in 2012. That was five years, right? And so that was five years of just trying to march my way through. My first television job, I was making $26,500. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I say that humbly, humbly because, you know, if you're, if you're coming from the NFL, you're going, yo, like I made more than that in a week. You know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> so I had to humble myself and, and not, not on some like pretentious. No, thing. no, I know. I know. I know. It's, it's just like, like, Oh man. So, but I had to take that job and I'm like, man, how am I going to provide for my family? I had kids by this time. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm -hmm. like how am I going to I mean, raise my kids off of 26,000? I was, you know, I was like, and I was going through money fast, man. Like I, I and, you know, I mentioned I left with $300,000 by the time before I even hit my career, in broadcasting, I was down to my last $40,000. And again, I granted, I know that, you know, everyone's got different, I just try to no. qualify it because no, you know, no, no, no. he's stunting or whatever. But I I, I was down $260,000. Gone, had nothing to show for it. You know, I was living at my dad's house. I lived in my dad's house, the house that I grew up in from 2010 until 2016. Hmm. Right? That was just hmm. five years ago, right? That I was living in the house. I raised my kids for the first five years of their life. In, in Crenshaw, in the neighborhood that I grew up in. So, um, and but it took perseverance. It took that gas to get to that navigation. Most people would have checked out like, man, it's a pipe dream. And it started to feel that way. I felt like I was, you know, it was like, it was a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. but I was able to come out on the other end of that and, and I stayed with it. And it goes back to my dad when he told me, nope, you started it, you finish it. When I, when I, when I decided that, I, you know, I was gonna quit football, he was like, nope. And I'm glad that my father taught me then not to quit because when it gets tough, that's when people mostly start to check out, right? Mm -hmm, when, that, mm -hmm. when, that, when that route that they give you, whichever route you take, sometimes it's tricky on a navigation, right? Oh, I'm gonna take the fast route. And that's the one with the most amount of traffic, right? <laughs> like, man, I should have, I should have, dang, I should have took the other route. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, We've all mm -hmm. been there before, but I said, you know what? I'm in traffic. I might as well just take it. I might as well take it. I chose this path. And eventually, if I'm patient enough, I'll get to my destination. 
That is great. Great, great story. Great ending to the show, man. You know, I think, I think, you know, people who do listen to it, like former and current and future athletes is like, they can learn something from what your journey is. Cause you're right. Like I said, sometimes, you know, God puts us on the long road and you're just like, ah, like, do I, why do I have to run five miles and he can run one, you know? Yeah, right. You, you got to realize God is making you run five for whatever reason that God has for you, make you run five. And he might be running one, but he, you don't know. He might've ran four already, you know? Yeah. So I heard Oprah even say too, like, I remember I was listening to Oprah and she said, uh, you know, she didn't, her career, even though she was on TV prior to, but she didn't really make it, make it big until she was like 40. But people see Oprah and think like she's been on TV forever. Like, <laughs> she woke up rich and she woke up. Like, yep. There was a grind. Everybody has a grind, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you definitely yeah. got to get a grind to it. Um, definitely have, you know, like perseverance to get where you're going. Like you said, like we're behind the eight ball because we played sports for yep. a certain period. Like we could have, if we would have stopped at 20, or 22 rather, when we graduated from college and then straight into whatever career we would ask five years of making the, you know, figuring out what you're going to do. Bro, bro, that's a good point because if I were to take myself and you, like it will compare us, like I was 27, I was like 27 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you think about the average person graduating college is around 21, 22 years old. So for me, I was five to six years behind the eight ball mm-hmm. you on the other hand was like a decade <laughs> right like, so you had even further yeah go to be able to go okay what am i going to do now you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and on yeah. top of that you were overseas so you were even disconnected so that's actually like adding like another five years because you know, there's a certain network of people, right? Like mm-hmm. your network was, you're disconnected from your network from, from an international standpoint. Yeah, you know what no. I mean? like, and, and that's how it is, man. Like people don't realize like in, in overseas basketball is not like NBA. Uh, you don't get a pension if you play over a certain amount of time. Whatever you make, you make. Right. And so like if I made 100,000, I'm taking home 85 or maybe, you know, like whatever their kids, because they take taxes out over there. You have to figure out a way to get your money back to the States and whatever's in your bank, that's it. You know, if you retire and all your money's gone, that's, that's your, that's your money gone. Right. You know, and it's funny thing is like for myself, you just, most athletes think they're going to play longer than what they play. I thought I was going to play till like I was 40 (laughs) and I was like, Nope, stop here. You know, you know, uh, but I mean, I had stress fractures in my, both my shins, you know, still placing them and all that, but, um, yeah, still, still until my, still in my legs to this day, still plays, yeah. you know, so I, I always be scared when going through the metal detectors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> always stopping. You. Always. I was like, Beep. oh man, oh, it's the, it's the it's shit. Run it, run it, run it. So pretty much, you know, uh, you just, you kind of, you were younger, you spend money a little different then than you would have now. Um, and like you said, like the best thing you said was having a plan before you finish. Right. Um, you know, it's I didn't. Great, I, yeah, it's a great tool, bro, because people give you access, man. They give you yeah, access. Yeah, so I'm saying they get, when, especially if you're on top, when you're doing the thing, they, oh, yeah, man, they're definitely Travis Akbar. Come on in. Well, when you're playing and not when you're like after, like, yeah, man, you know, I do. Isn't whatever. that crazy? But that messes with you psychologically. And people don't mm. talk about that. When you get done and then the same people that were very open to you yeah. are very close to you. 
And you think, hold on, is it me? Were they just groupies? Did they only want to help me? Because I'm like, you know, and once you understand the game, you're like, you know what? People are going to give me certain access. It's like having one of those timed keys. Like, hey, you get one of these, like at the hotel, you get the magnetic key. But once 11 o'clock comes in and, you know, that, that magnetic key doesn't work no more. Yeah. So you got to take advantage of the opportunity when that magnetic key mm-hmm, is still mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm, um, and Because that, that was the hardest part, bro. That right there messed me up. Like the people who I thought were my friends weren't my friends really. They, they were only associated with me because of my success. And it's not lost on me. Like it's very, till this day, it's still very hard for me to even embrace my quote unquote celebrity or success because I realized that certain people won't ride with you when, because I know at some point my TV career is going to come to an end, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, will I have the same circle of friends or will they be, you know, superficial? So if there is something else that I'm thinking about, you know what I mean? Like build those relationships now, try to take advantage because there's certain people who just won't mess with you because they only want to be associated with, uh, with that you. person. Yeah. That yeah, person. Like it's, bro, real talk. Like my wife tells me this too. It's like, you know, it, it's harder to make friends. Like even with my quote unquote, you know, industry celebrity, whatever they call them, you know, like I, I still tread lightly just because it's hard to really open up. You know, I know people will give you access to relationships or I get to hang out with cool people and all this other stuff. But I'm like, but well, would it be the same? Would I have access if I wasn't on a show? Would you want to hang out with me then? So is it about me or is it about my status or is it about my affiliation? Mm-hmm. So I never get the two. I, I told myself after the NFL, I will never mix the two. So there's Akbar, the man, the human being that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And then there's Akbar, the person who has this occupation and so on and so forth. And I realize there are people who just want to be associated with that and I'll mm-hmm. give them that, but they won't get Akbar the person, right? Because I know once I'm not on TV anymore, then they're like, I, I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> talk, to yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk to my assistant. Talk to my assistant. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> so yeah, I protect myself, man. So I, I fool with people like you, like I'll go hang out with Bean and Kevin, like people who I grew up with, who know, who's known me since I was younger, like those are, tend to be the people I feel more comfortable with because those are people who keep it real. And they, they've seen you since your vulnerable stage, you know what I mean? Since you were, you know, snotty nosed kid, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, definitely agree with you on that, Akbar, man. Yeah. And like I said, I, I love, like I said, I love you so candid and like the real, the real, the real journey of your, of your everything that's happened from, from start to where you're at now and where you're going beyond, you know? Like I'm, I'm excited to see what's next, you know? Uh, for you and your career, man. Well, we're gonna we're gonna cut off at that point because right, me bro. and Akbar, uh, we can talk forever. <laughs> and uh, I want to say thank you for coming on, man. And uh, like I said, watch his. I mean, he don't even need no pub for me, but watch American Ninja Warrior. He is the, like I said, he is the show. You know his funny funny talk. I, I love the way you be talking about it, all the, everything we be saying. Appreciate super it. funny, super hilarious. And watch the talk. And like I said, I watch it for him. And no, Cheryl Underwood, she's funny, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my homegirl, man. Yeah, yeah, she's oh, super funny yeah. too. But like, watch it, you know. Um, but when is when is when is those? Uh, I know American Ninja was, you know, not not film right yeah, now. So American Ninja Warrior Junior is on Peacock. That's streaming now. We're getting ready to have our finals. Uh, American Ninja Warrior comes back during the summer, so it's every summer. American Ninja Warrior. And then uh, the talk is uh, Monday through Friday uh, mm-hmm. at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. 
uh, and uh, 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then, of course, I've got my book, Everyone Can Be a Ninja. Yes. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. You can get that at Barnes and Nobles, mm-hmm. wherever books mm-hmm. are sold. So um, appreciate you allowing me to pub those things. No, no, no problem. And like I said, you know, you come on. I just, like I said, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I appreciate you. Really appreciate you coming on the show. It means a lot to me, man. Um, and like I said, you are welcome anytime, anytime you come on, like, you know, I definitely want to invite you on back. All right, man. Appreciate it, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All All right, right, boy. All right, man. Have a good one, bro. You too. All right. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.